Our Bible reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. We live in a unique time in history in which the topic of identity and gender is a lightning rod for fierce discussion and debate. In the midst of this climate, it is hard to see what is right, know what is true, and celebrate what is beautiful. We feel the weight of this cultural moment and the complexity that is before us, and yet are committed to journeying together to explore God's word and seek his vision. We do this with a deep longing for truth and a firm conviction that God's design for humanity is beautiful. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Well, thanks for joining us, either online or live here at DAC. And this is our uh, second in our series, Male and Female, God Created Them. Uh, Last week, we introduced the topic and we saw that... uh, there's two narratives running around. Uh, the narrative of our culture, which says, I am who I say I am. I get to choose my identity, my gender, my sexuality, versus uh, actually God speaks and God creates. Um, and today we're going to have a look at the particulars of what it means for men and women to be created in God's image, but to be created different. So, Let's kick off by thinking about Ninja Warrior. I don't know if you watch this show, um, but if you do, it's got male and female competitors. And the male competitors have to complete an obstacle course, as do the females, but the males can run faster, jump further, hold on for longer, climb more quickly. They can progress through the obstacle course more quickly and longer than, on average, what the females do. Yep, so this quote, scientifically, women are physiologically weaker than men. It's a non-negotiable. This is a quote from Andrea Ha. She's actually the first woman on Australian Ninja Warrior to complete the warped wall. So if you've seen Ninja Warrior, you'll know the warped wall is this huge, big, uh, sort of concaved wall, and you have to, it's slippery, you have to grab it and, and climb up. So she's the first woman to have done that in Australia. Uh, not only was she a competitor, but she's actually by a profession an exercise physiologist. So this quote just doesn't come from her own opinion, but from science and research. Yeah, and science tells us that in uh, the male body, the composition is different from the female body. So, you can see on this slide, uh, men have about uh, 10% more muscle mass than what women have, and they have about 10% more fat. Uh, Females have 10% more fat than what males do. 
I think some things are better left unsaid. So we don't really talk about women and fat. It's, it's not a done thing. And this is an instance of where... This is an instance of where females think somehow it's their place to tell men what they're allowed to and not allowed to say. We're protecting you. We're saving you. We're using our wisdom. Hey. And we're going to explain to you why it is that you get little interactions like that in your relationships. Um, but let's press on. Uh, yeah, so now we look at the life expectancy and we can see here through the ages uh, in this slide, uh, we've got a slide from the 1800s uh, and we've predicted through to 2030. Uh, what you see, the pattern there, is that women tend to live longer than men. So perhaps men are physically stronger, but women live longer. Uh, men are on average taller. Uh, and so this slide kind of shows average height, but what I like about this slide is it, it captures the nuance that whilst men are on average taller, there are actually some women who are taller than some men, just as there are some men who live longer than some women. Uh, so it's not men always have to be like this and women always have to be like this. There are variations. We also see uh, that it's not just in the body but also in the mind where men and women are different. And so women are twice as likely to suffer from dementia as what men are. And men, uh, studies are showing up to four uh, diagnoses of men with autism to every one female with autism. Um, typically boys rather than men, sorry, but uh, primarily it's seen as a male diagnosis. So what's going on here? Why is the male mind more predisposed to autism and the female mind more predisposed to dementia? Well, whatever's going on in the brain, we get the, the evidence that well, there must be something different in the composition of the male and the female brain. There's something kind of happening there. And we see the differences being played out in other spaces too. Yeah, we do. So uh, on the Fortune, Fortune 500 list, uh, there's only 37 females. Now, this lady here, Mary Barra, she is the CEO of General Motors Corporation. Uh, she's the highest ranked female on the list and she sits at number 18. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because we've just identified kind of three gender differences. And here's what we would say in our culture. We would say, oh, okay, so women are more likely to suffer dementia. That's got something to do with their brain chemistry. Men are more likely, or boys are more likely to um, suffer from autism. That's got something to do with their brain chemistry. But females are less likely to be CEOs. That's because of social and cultural bias. And we would have the same commentary about the fact that there are less female politicians or that women earn on average less. We, so we're attributing some things to biology and some things to society. Now, I want to give you a couple of labels, and they're not my labels, they come from the literature, but the approach that tends to focus on biology, on the differences, is called essentialism. And the logic is something like this, right? There are real physical differences between men and women. Uh, that's why 
men are more likely or males are more likely to suffer from uh, autism and females from dementia. That means that males tend to be suited to certain roles that flows from their physical nature or from their, uh, their brain chemistry and their neural pathways. Uh, and so if men are on average stronger, then perhaps they're more suited to physical work. If women are on average more nurturing, then we tend to see more women employed as primary school teachers or perhaps in the medical professions and the allied health because that somehow suits their predispositions. Uh, and so whatever trends we see in society are a reflection of the real physical differences between how God has made males and females. That approach is called essentialism and it focuses on the way that God has made men and women different. Yeah, and, but then there's another approach and that ap other approach is constructivism. So it says that gender differences are marginal and that cons gender constructs are social. So this is where we find uh, if you give girls dolls and if you give boys trucks and blocks, that's kind of how they will uh, decide how they identify with their gender. Uh, and the individual, through their experiences and their construction of knowledge, can choose who they are. Um, I am who I say I am. Yeah, so... We would hear this argument being played out in social debate at the moment around why we don't have more female politicians. Yeah. It's because they weren't given leadership opportunities when they were younger. It's not anything genetical. It's not anything biological. Um, it's purely a result of unbalanced social opportunities. And we need to go back and re-engineer our society to kind of make it fairer. When you hear those kind of arguments, they are constructivist and they are beginning at the opposite place. One begins with there are real differences. The other begins with, no, no, there are very marginal differences. It's mostly unique individuals. Um, so where are we going to go in, in today's message? Well, uh, we're going to try and understand if there are differences between male and female and where they come from, firstly by looking at creation. We just sung about it, actually, about how God is a God of creation who creates order. And we're going to follow um, some medieval uh, theology, if you like, Aquinas, uh, and he says that God speaks through creation or nature and God speaks through his word. So what can we know about differences between males and females from God's creation? And secondly, what can we discern from the Bible? What patterns are there about what it means to be male and female? Yeah, and we're going to see what conclusions we can reach. Um, so what patterns emerge for us right now is we see uh, the biology. We see that there are patterns in God's creation in our physical beings uh, and also in our, uh, in our brain chemistry and the way that we relate to each other through those ways too. So let me kick off by describing some of the neurological differences between a male and a female. Sorry if this sounds a bit lecture-like, um, but here's kind of some, some data. Uh, females tend to produce more of a chemical called oxytocin. And actually, when they do produce that chemical, um, it interacts with uh, female behaviour differently than what it does in males. We'll come to that later. But females produce more oxytocin, and it's the bonding chemical. It's that sense of connection that you have between two individuals. Yes, yeah, so ladies, that's the chemical that once we've endured childbirth and gone through that, that chemical kicks in and makes us want to do it all again. 
<laughs> and so, on average, females, because they generate more oxytocin, uh, more emphasis falls on feeling connected, on feeling empathetic. Um, in fact, when two people are producing oxytocin, it's almost like a positive and a negative magnet. And you can kind of, uh, you know, the bond that you have between a mother and a child. Uh, and, and that is more prevalent in females. Females also have a larger long-term memory space in their brains. Um, I know in my marriage, if you want to talk about where did we go in holidays and what happened, in, you know, Marianne has a better memory for those things than what I do. Females are also better at processing, processing more sensory input from multiple sources. So when a female listens, she is noticing not only words, but nonverbal cues from multiple sources. And her listening is not just an interpretation of words, but the entire package. And she decides whether or not she will agree or... Uh, put a slant on the words depending on all the sensory input, and they do that better. Females are also better at task switching. We often talk about how women or men can or can't multitask. Actually, the research says nobody is good at multitasking, but what females are better at is switching between tasks. So perhaps you've come home at the end of a busy day, and a female is conscious that you know, I've still got an email to send and a phone call to make and I've got dinner on the go and I can't let this burn and Fred's got to go out to this tonight and we've got to... And females can cope with that, you know, boom, boom, boom and keep all of them on the go at once better than what males can. Females also in their brains have a larger verbal centre. They're better with words, perhaps, while you were telling me what I can and can't That's say. That's right. That's why I interrupt you so often. <laughs> Um, and they have, on average, a higher verbal intelligence. Whereas males produce more uh, testosterone, and this is a more aggressive chemical, and it tends to lead to kind of, I've got to attack, I've got to defend, I've got to do something, not so much connect. Um, the history of humanity, and we have about 10 centuries of recorded history... Is, is littered with war. Uh, and it's really only since about 1970 where we've kind of stopped having world wars. But males, uh, as well as kind of going and hunting and um, gardening and digging and building, have also spent much of history going and fighting and defending. And that is part of the male makeup. They're also, on average, better at 3D geometry, so playing with shapes in their heads and being able to manipulate those shapes, rotate them and twist them, and they're more task-orientated. So Bluey, the dad, what do they do? They go and play together, and that's a very male way to interact. We're going to do a task together. I, I know with my children, I would go and kick the soccer ball with them, right? And that was my way of connecting with my children, which was different from how Marianne would connect. They're more single task focused, you know, I've got to do this, not jump between multiple tasks. Uh, also, according to the literature, males do process emotions. It's not that they're emotional retards, but what they do do, 
is they kind of go, you know what? Why did they? I won't ask. Uh, <laughs> once they've kind of processed an emotion, they said, you know what? Uh, we've dealt with that. Uh, we've said sorry. We've apologized. We've moved on. What's the next thing? Yeah, and so you might recall in high school, um, if two guys had uh, a beef with each other, they'd probably punch each other and then they'd be hugging and they're mates. Uh, Whereas the girls, um, they're bringing other people in to tell their side of the story and this war goes on for weeks and months and maybe years. Yeah, yeah. So there are some male and female differences we see there. Yeah, absolutely. And so we move into also um, the psychology world. And and this is uh, a very popular kind of uh, easy way for us to look at some of these differences. But in personality psychology, we look at the big five personality traits. Uh, They're agreeableness, emotional stability, extroversion, openness to new experiences, and conscientiousness. Now, women score higher... uh, Many studies have been done in different cultures, different age demographics. Women, uh, these are consistent results. So women score higher in agreeableness, in trust, cooperation, sympathy. Those are those kind of nurturing, relational types of things. Uh, In emotional stability, they score higher. So women uh, typically more in tune with their anger. How do you call that emotional stability? Oh, sorry, sorry, I won't interrupt you. I'm very in tune with my anger. (laughs) Okay. Um, We're more vulnerable uh, and we're more self-conscious. Have we moved on? Is that... (laughs) We'll talk about it later. After you've talked to your other friends. That's right. After I've got some people on my side. (laughs) So men tend to score higher in the extroversion category. So again, that testosterone kicking in. Uh, They become assertive. Um, Their activity levels are different. Uh, They're also open to new experiences. They use imagination and a sense of adventure more than women. Uh, But interestingly, the conscientious uh, category, we we score pretty equally, pretty consistently uh, between males and females. So that's to do with hard work, diligence, putting effort into the things that you're doing. And I'm sure your brain is joining some dots between the two lists, right? So that agreeableness fits with that sense of, okay, um, oxytocin and bonding, um, whereas testosterone and assertiveness and activity also kind of tend to connect. So we've been focusing on male-female differences, and let me just reiterate that there are, of course, agreeable males and there are females who are open to adventure and new things. Um, It's not hard and fast and fixed and completely separate. Um, But let me also just, because it's easy to, uh, as we focus on what is different here, to lose sight on what is similar. Let me me give you a quick example of this. Uh, What's the opposite of salt? Pepper, all right? What's the opposite of a cat? A dog, right. Now, let's go back to the first one. Is salt actually the opposite of pepper? Well, let's do a quick test. Are they minerals? Both minerals. Are they both small? Yes. Um, Do you put them on your food to flavour your food? Yes. They're actually sounding remarkably similar. And yet, the way we use the word opposite tends to mean they are different in one key defining feature. And a cat and a dog are also remarkably similar, except for one or two key defining features. And so when we say males and females are different, 
What we actually mean is they are remarkably similar, except for a few strategic differences that we readily note. And the science backs this up too. We have something like 100 billion neurons. Most of them are the same. Most biblical commands are gender neutral, right? You have to um, not tell lies, whether you're a male or a female, right? That command equally applies. Uh, but there are a few places where we're different. That's where we're kind of focusing. Uh, males and females have uh, equal IQ scores. They're equally intelligent. Uh, we're mostly similar, but we're identifying here a few key differences. Yeah, so we're seeing that there really are differences between the sexes. We've, we've looked at that uh, so far and we'll continue to look at that. Uh, but really, we are two kinds of the one creature. So we're all human. Uh, so we're male and female, but we are all human. Um, so what do we read in God's Word? Yeah, so we've looked at nature. Now let's jump to, um, to Scripture. And we read this last week. Uh, God says, let us create mankind in our image. And God creates them and God blesses them and God creates male and female are both made in his image. And both are equally given the command to be fruitful and increase, to fill the earth and subdue it. That's a command that's made to males and females. Let me try and capture this in a diagram for you. So males and females are both made in God's image. They're both called to reflect God and to honour and to worship God. They are both given the command to be fruitful and to increase. They are both given the command to rule over the um, birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And it's not expressed as a command, but because they are both made in God's image and God himself exists in relationship in Trinity, they are both created to be a part of community. So I hope that that diagram kind of captures what it means to be human and how we're created equal. This is the part where we need to just emphasise that we're unlike the birds or we're unlike the dogs, right? Um, for the most part, we are actually equal. Yeah, so male and female are equally commanded. Firstly, to reflect God's image. Uh, they're also equally commanded to belong to and serve community. Uh, they're equally commanded to increase and multiply and also to rule and steward over the creation. All right, so let's have a look now at uh, what it means for the male and female to be a team. So God says in Genesis 2, it's not good for the man to be alone. Somehow there's something missing. I will make a helper suitable for him. How do you feel about that word helper? Yeah, so I, I think uh, growing up that word really rubbed with me. Uh, I'm not necessarily your typical female in some ways. Uh, and so some of those male tendencies uh, are what I identify with more. And so being a helper kind of felt like it squashed me a little bit and, and didn't allow me... Uh, room to move in some of those tendencies that I have. Uh, but then uh, if we look at Exodus, we actually see that God is called a helper. Uh, and so Moses said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of the Pharaoh. And I think that really uh, helped me to see uh, what the role of a helper is. It's not less, it's equal, uh, but it's different. It's a different role. 
Yeah, in fact, I'm sure God does the heavy lifting uh, more so than Moses in that instance. Right. So it's, it's not a pejorative term. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I think going back to this idea of, of puzzle and completion, um, male and female, we are two pieces of God's puzzle. Uh, and when we get put together and when we uh, work side by side, we actually create and complete God's picture. It's a, it's a lovely metaphor. Uh, so let's just focus for a sec on just one dimension. So God gives both male and female the command to be fruitful and to increase. And as you reflect on that, God doesn't just say to the female, well, you go away and multiply by yourself, and she can't. And neither can the male. Actually, they're both required to cooperate together to fulfill that command and the potential of what it means to be human and to um, continue the species. And it's not only in the moment of procreation, but actually as the family continues the mother and the father fulfill different functions and together they create a holistic and an ideal family in which it's a beautiful place to raise children. Yeah, so again, we see here there are real differences in our nature. Um, God has created male and female equally and he calls us equally to reflect, increase, rule and belong. So, if male and female are in some sense equal there's also the sense of that they are different. And so we need to look to Scripture now for that. So uh, Genesis 3.16, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So we're dealing here with the curses that God announces on firstly the serpent and then on uh, females and males. What do you think the curses say about women? Yeah, I think um, it really speaks to the fact of the role of a woman is to give birth. Why would God give a, uh, a curse to a man about childbirth when that's not his role, that's not his function? Yeah, yeah. as a mum, you experience this with your children? Absolutely. Um, I have two boys, uh, but they are both very different. And so one of my boys likes to be alone, he likes to read books, he likes to do things, um, you know, of his own accord. The other one is very active, very social. Now, if I was to say to the book reader who likes to be alone, uh, your consequence or your punishment is that you need to stay in your room and read books for the week, he'd go, yes. Uh, but if I did that to my other one who's so social and wants to be with people and doesn't enjoy reading, that's actually a real punishment for him. And so as parents, we need to know our kids, we need to know what it is that motivates them, uh, and we need to actually uh, act according to those things. So there's something about the nature of women that is revealed in the fact that God gives this specific curse to women. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think there's, uh, in both curses, there's something that reveals itself about women uh, being childbearers um, and that the husband is there and he will rule over you. Uh, but equally, uh, there is a curse for men. Yeah. Uh, another scripture. Another scripture. So, one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, 
David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but Nabal hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. Now think it over and see what you could do, because disaster is hanging over our master and their whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. This is from 1 Samuel. Earlier on in the in the chapter, uh, David come, King David comes in and he protects Nabal and his household. Nabal is a wealthy man. He's got a lot of sheep and livestock, a lot of shepherds. Uh, and David and his men, he has 400 men with him. They're looking for the favour to be returned. They need supplies. They need food. Uh, and so David sends some men and Nabal says, no way, it's not happening. Uh, and so David gets really angry about that. Uh, and so they ask Abigail to step in and intercede on, on behalf of Nabal and kind of try and smooth the situation over. Um, so she goes to David with food and presents him with food and, and she speaks with him about uh, her husband's nature and uh, they kind of have this interaction. Uh, and at the end of the interaction, David decides that he's going to forgive Nabal uh, and not cause devastation. Uh, the Bible actually says that Abigail uses her good judgment uh, and her words to help smooth this over. So uh, Nabal's testosterone is not serving him well. It is not. Um, but by contrast, Abigail's skills in kind of kinship yes. and empathising, yeah. allow her to use her verbal skills yep. and to be able to resolve the problem without confrontation. That's right. And she's helping uh, David, she's helping uh, the shepherds, but she's also helping her husband in this situation. So she's actually using those skills uh, for the whole situation. Uh, so we see that females tend to be relational networkers who complete others. Uh, just like Adam and Eve, uh, the two coming together were the completion of God's creation. Uh, we see that women tend to nurture children, families and community, and that they tend to be influencers who use words and their relationship intelligence, or we're calling it relational smarts. So, uh, if you're a female and... You're trying to reflect God uh, and express through your gender what it means to be someone created in God's image. Um, I think what we're suggesting is these are the patterns that you're more naturally inclined to uh, express affection and feel strong bonds with your children, that you will use persuasion and um, words and relational smarts to bring order. Uh, that uh, you will be a person who empathises with others and creates connections within community. And probably in your relationship with God, you will uh, express more this sense of, you know, God is someone who I trust. And you will feel like you and God are on the same page and you will feel like you can worship God. Uh, and then you will feel like, yeah, um, this is who I was designed to be. Well, let's look uh, and contrast that now with men. Uh, how are men created? What are the patterns that we see in Scripture? And we read this in Genesis 2. This is why a man leaves his father and mother. He takes the initiative. He steps out first away from his family and then goes and uh, joins his wife. 
And I think there, in this instance and in others, there's something about men taking initiative, taking the first step. Let's have a look at the curse. The curse for Adam is that he will have to work hard. There will be painful toil. Now, in Scripture, work is not a curse. Adam works in the garden, and it's good, uh, and Eve works as well. Um, and uh, I also take it that we'll actually work on the new heaven and the new earth. But the curse is work becomes difficult. Um, it becomes um, troublesome and toilsome. And so, again, it's that sense of there's something about the male nature that wants to produce, that wants to achieve, that wants to have this sense of, I've, I've done something and I've made a difference and at the end of the day I, I have some sense of satisfaction about having progressed something and moved something forward and that is cursed and that tells us something about the nature of males. Thirdly, well-known passage, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so males are called to sacrifice. Uh, when you're in that state where it's a Mexican standoff, it's the male's responsibility and perhaps more his inclination even to sacrifice first, to love his wife more than he loves his own body. So if I can pull those together, I think the biblical pattern, the pictures that we kind of see repeated are that men are to take initiative, they're to use their physical strength to work, to provide, to protect and they're called to sacrifice for their wives and for their families. Yeah, so if we look at this diagram again, we see uh, males and females being commanded equally, uh, but we see the way that men do this. In reflecting God, they understand God and they obey God. So they, they are more about uh, really getting to what God's saying to them in the Bible and, and really understanding that and obeying that word. Uh, in community, they protect and they reintegrate. So we talked earlier about uh, men who traditionally would go to war uh, and use their physical strength to protect the community. Uh, in parenting, uh, men like Bluey's dad uh, would use practical ways and share the tasks of parenthood uh, rather than the emotional connection and nurturing support. Uh, and in terms of ruling over uh, the creation, they're using their initiative and they're using their hard work. And again, we just need to reiterate here, that doesn't mean to say that Fathers don't need to emotionally connect with their children because they can leave that up to the mum. It doesn't mean to say females don't need to sometimes, you know, put some hard yakker in and, and get out in the garden and dig or, or it, if they do, they won't enjoy it because they're not... It doesn't mean any of that. They're all valuable, but we're just kind of saying, uh, on average, men tend to uh, fulfil this pattern more and on average, women tend to fulfil this pattern more. Here's, though, I think, the beautiful picture when we pull this together. And again, we'll start with children and families. Children need both that sense of affection and the bonding that takes place, particularly between a mother and a child, but they also need food on the table and a roof to sleep under, and they need somebody who's going to play with them. And what the mother and the father, what the male and the female do together, 
is when they're both playing to their strengths, they provide all that the child needs and they fulfill God's command. And we can see that in each of the four spaces, when men and women are bringing order together, that it's balanced. When men and women are creating community together, then there's structure and there's protection and there's forgiveness mechanisms, which perhaps are the male strengths, and there's empathy and connection and, and bonding, which are some of the female strengths. Yeah, and so I think uh, the really simple way to, to sum that up is to say there's wholeness. There's actually completion and wholeness when we combine those two together. Yeah, and it's back to that puzzle picture, isn't it? Absolutely. It's back to that piece of the puzzle where when they connect and they're working together, not just in marriages, but in relationships, uh, wherever that may be in the community, when, when people come together, men and women, they fulfil and reflect God's creation in its wholeness. So we're at a point in our culture where there's a lot of confusion about what it means to be certainly a male but I think also a female. And the standard answer that you get is you get to choose who and what you want to be. And it's my view that a lot of the anxiety that uh, particularly teenagers and young adults have, some of it flows from the fact that they're looking inside and trying to work out who they think they are as a unique individual Whereas what we're seeing is that when you look into scripture, when you look into creation, you see that there are actually some patterns and that if you have been created a male, that as you seek to express your relationship with your wife or with your children or with your workplace or with your community or with God, there are certain ways that you have been created and you will express what it means to be a son of God through your maleness. And when you do, that will bring a sense of peace and settledness and a reduction of anxiety. And con conversely, females have been created following certain patterns. And when they are being who God has made them to be, and parenting and working and relating and connecting with God in ways that conform with the way that God has shaped them, then they too will most feel like, this is who I am, I am who God has made me to be. Well, that's the end of this message. Where we're going next week is we're going to have a look at gender, sexuality, and what is at the core of our identity? Because there really are two competing narratives that are at the sharpest confrontation in this space. So that's where we're going next week. But let me just close in prayer. And then we're going to sing a song that just affirms that we are who God has created us to be. God, we thank you that you're a good God who's made a good world and in a good world, you made people male and female. And we just want to sit this morning and acknowledge that we are creatures that, like clay, have been shaped by your hands. 
that there are attributes about how we have been made that you have sown into us. And that as you call us to express what it means for us to be beings, we're expressing ourselves as males and females. And that's part of your good order. And that's part of how we reflect you. And we want to celebrate the parts of maleness that reflect you, God. And we want to celebrate the parts of femaleness that reflect you, God. And we want to celebrate the parts that aren't about gender, but where males and females equally reflect you. We want to say all of those are a beautiful story to tell. And we're here, God, to tell your story, to be your light to the nations. And we want to ask that as we both be male and female, and as we relate male and female, that we might indeed reflect you beautifully and powerfully and compellingly, and that you would be glorified, and that people would come to know you, and that we would find our satisfaction in how you have made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.